Welcome to the Compass Catholic Changemaker podcast. I'm your host, Caitlin Kano. On this podcast, we talk about how to live with our money as Catholics. Hi, Changemakers. This week's episode is a conversation I recently had with my dear friend, Victoria Seacrest. Victoria is a financial coach and an ambassador of content development for Compass Catholic. She was part of the team that recently wrote and assembled our new online course, God, Marriage, and Money. Money is ranked as the number one stressor in marriages, with 70% of married couples reporting they argue about money. And I'm wondering if the other 30% are lying about it, right? One study recently showed that only about 40% of couples even discuss or bring up the topic of money before marriage. We have an opportunity to do better here. If you know someone who's involved in Catholic marriage preparation, we ask you share this podcast episode with them. This online course will go live on June 1st. If your parish or diocese is interested in offering this course, As part of your marriage preparation program, you can visit us at compasscatholic.org to find out more. I hope you enjoy today's Compass Catholic Changemaker podcast episode. God bless. Hi, Victoria. Hey, Caitlin. So just for our listeners, a little bit of history about how you and I met. I listened to a podcast with Danielle Bean. I don't know. Was this like a year and change ago? Yeah, I think it was the end of 2019, pre-COVID. And it was a beautiful podcast. And I remember thinking there's someone else in the world who gets how we need to align our money with our values in a Catholic way. And um, you were just so wonderful. So I reached out to you. And at the same time, Compass Catholic's co-founder, Evelyn, who you also met, did an introduction email um, that I didn't know she was sending. So I remember thinking, you must think I'm a total psychopath to get like two emails, <laughs> like forcing this introduction within the same day. But since that time, we've grown to become friends and, and you're helping us at Compass Catholic. And I'm glad you don't think I'm a psychopath. <laughs> no, I never thought you were a psychopath. <laughs> and what's funny is one of our first conversations, I remember too, you were telling me, I think it was, is it the St. Joseph's statue that you were, you were oh, in the upside process down of in the yard? Yeah. Yes. And I thought that's so cool that there is something for that, something for helping Catholics to sell their home. And I was like, I'm going to learn so much from Caitlin and I have and continue to do so. So I'm so glad we got connected. Do you want to hear a funny story about the St. Joseph statue? Yeah. Tell me. Okay. So we've had the same St. Joseph statue. We've used, um, we've sold two homes, bought two. And so we've used it each time. And he works like within a day or two, we've had an offer or something's happened with each of those houses. And my friend was trying to sell her house and she was having these random deals totally falling through in weird ways. So I'm like, oh, use my St. Joseph statue. He works, he comes through and then you, you know, just give him back when you're done. We'll put him in the place of honor in our house. So she did. And she buried St. Joseph um, in her yard. Her golden retriever found St. Joseph and dug him up. And the golden retriever is running all around the yard. And she's like, what do you have? What do you have? And she finally gets a hold of him and opens his mouth. And baby Jesus's head was in his mouth. (laughs) So she had to go out and buy another St. Joseph statue. And I mean, I I told her I wanted my original one um, if it was if we could fix it. So now my St. Joseph statue has baby Jesus's head super glued. And he's still in a place of reference in her house. And her house sold. 
like she got the right offer the next, I want to say two or three days later. But um, yeah, her, her dog did not want to move. We figured out. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love stories like that. Oh, poor St. Joseph. He works. He works. But okay. Yes. So <laughs> focusing on today's topic, I'm sorry. But all right. Today we're talking about our new online course that you have been instrumental in launching, God, Marriage, and Money. We have a book, God, Marriage, and Money. It's a beautifully written book, co-authored by John and Evelyn Bean. And we were realizing it was given as gifts, but people didn't actually read it because it's hard for an engaged couple to find time to read a book. So do you want to kind of explain how we brainstormed this, the process for the online course? Absolutely. First of all, when we talked about doing an online course, I was thinking to myself, I literally know nothing about doing an online course. I don't think I'm qualified to help you with this. And, but at the same time, I thought, okay, God has put this opportunity in my lap and he's going to help me figure it out. And that's what he did for, for all of us that were working on the project. So the first part about putting the course together, I remember was basically going through the God, Marriage and Money book and taking out all the parts that I thought were going to be relevant for engaged couples. Because there's some things that you can talk about when you're married. You don't necessarily have to talk about when you're engaged. For example, like estate planning and life insurance. Like You can wait until you're married to actually talk more specifically about those things. But there are certain things like as you're going through pre-Cana that you want to be talking about. And so I was going through the God, Marriage, and Money book to find those parts. And then we basically broke it down into four different modules. And from there, we decided we're going to do videos and little quizzes and required reading. And so the course is a combination of all of that. It turned out beautifully. And I'm just so excited because I mean, we have our marriage preparation that we all do while we're going through the process. Um, mine was 15 years ago. We just had our 15-year anniversary. So it's been a minute. That's amazing. Congrats. <laughs> oh, thank you. So 15 years is crazy. But um, I remember being told during our pre cana retreat that you're going to fight about money. It's going to be the main thing you fight about. And good luck. That <laughs> was the extent of what we were told. So you've been, you're recently married. I mean, it's only been a little know, over a year and a half. A little over a year. What was and your half, marriage yeah. preparation around, around money? Like, was it similar to mine? So I think our marriage prep was probably a little more robust than the average person's. We had to find a mentor couple and meet with them a certain number of times. We also had a workbook that we had to go through in addition to meeting with the mentor couple. So it was like every time we met with them corresponded to a different chapter in the workbook. And before we even started our sessions with the mentor couple, we had another couple that we met with where we had to take a quiz beforehand separately. And some of the questions in that were around our income. And then they would sit us down and we'd go through how each of us answered the questions and they'd say, here's the areas for improvement. And the general gist for us with the financial part, which was a very small part of it, was that we're in, we were in pretty good shape financially. And so we actually, they didn't think that that was going to be one of our hurdles because on the income side, it seemed like we were doing really well. So beyond that, there was a little bit of 
reflection in the workbook that we had about finances, but it was nothing that we hadn't already as a couple talked about. And you and Jason are both money people. This is this is your yeah. <laughs> area of expertise. What has been your experience since getting married on this? Is it all about the math or have you learned other lessons that that we've been able to transfer through the course? Oh, it's definitely not all about the numbers because you can write a financial plan for anyone and just see how many people actually just follow that plan after giving it to them. It's very few people follow it word by word because there's all the emotions tied into it. And what's interesting is because Jason and I both work in this field, there's not always a consensus on certain things in terms of should we overfund or not necessarily overfund, but really focus on building up our retirement now? Or do we want to press pause on the retirement, for example, and focus more on building up our savings, our investment accounts that we're going to be able to access over the next 20 years versus not being able to touch those retirement accounts for much longer. So little things like that. But I think the biggest thing was that mental mindset shift where it's, this is my money. And then you get married and you're like, wait, everything is both of ours. Mm. It was really mind blowing <laughs> because it's one thing on paper to understand that. But then when you're in that situation we we combined all of our finances. So we don't look at it as like, well, I pay for this and he pays for that, or I bring in this much money and he brings in that much. Therefore, he gets more say because he makes more money. Like we totally were just like, whatever money comes in is household money. We're totally transparent about what we want to spend money on. But I'll be honest, I thought the financial component was going to be easier for us because, like you said, that's what we work in. But we ended up having very different opinions about investment strategies, mm -hmm. like I said, retirement, how we want to save for that. And also just spending. Like I have always been much more, not much more frugal because Jason's very frugal, but I've been more discerning about, oh my gosh, I don't want to spend money on this and I'll I'll stress about it when he might say, well, just let's just get takeout. Don't you don't need to think about it for 20 minutes and decide. <laughs> so he's helped me to really almost relax and enjoy our money a little bit more. And by the same token, I think I've also we've we've wrapped up on each other, but it's still it's an evolution. It's not like, oh, we have it all figured out. Everything's perfect now. We still sit down and talk about our finances every month, if not more than once a month. So I'm working on this new project for teens, and we're we're trying to encourage um, money conversations between teens and parents. And this research is fascinating on family of origin. And teens don't see saving behaviors. They don't see investing behaviors. They only see spending and income behaviors because that's what that's they can witness. Point. And when you're watching your new spouse spend money in a way, order takeout, um, you know, get a pair of shoes or like for me, it's, I love the hunt, you know, like I, it's like four hours <laughs> for one decision. And my husband's like, oh my gosh, just like make a decision. Right. But for me, that, that's how, that's how I was raised. And it's probably a male, female thing as well. And I don't know. I think that's an interesting transition because you're not just 
marrying, you weren't just marrying Jason, you were marrying his family of origin and all the behaviors he's been exposed to. So I don't know. That's just a thought there. That's so I've never thought about that, that as kids, we don't witness the saving and the investing. And you're right, but we do see the spending. And absolutely, Jason and I had different upbringings around money. We were actually probably similar, very similar in the actual finances of our families, like the same socioeconomic class. Mm -hmm. But in terms of how our families thought about money and talked about money was totally different. For example, my family was very much anti-debt. Pretty much the only debt they would ever have was a mortgage. And whereas Jason's family was, because they were entrepreneurial, his dad has his own business, was willing to take on debt to build his own business and switch careers. And so they did have a different experience with credit card debt than my family. And so when I hear credit card debt, I just tense up and I never want to have credit card debt. And whereas he came from a family where it's not that it was encouraged, but it also wasn't seen as the end of the world based on a circumstance of switching careers and Mm. taking a pay cut, taking a chance on yourself. So I think the biggest mindset shift for me has been actually investing in myself and taking a chance on myself where like spending money on something that for my own personal growth has been something that I've really felt encouraged and supported by Jason to do. Whereas in the past, I would have thought, well, I could just save that money instead of taking this course I want to take or instead of doing these things that aren't necessary to survival, but that I think are really important for my well-being. Now I look at it like, well, I I earn money for a reason. It's not just to sit in the bank and I can go out and use that money to better myself, to be more generous. Actually, maybe generosity is the bigger thing that I learned from Jason. He, <laughs> he when I met him, he he's always been generous. But when I met him, I was not myself. I wouldn't be what I consider generous. I kind of did the minimum that I could put in in the church basket every week. And I donated here and there. I was not intentional at all about my giving. It was just if I saw something that inspired me. Whereas he was so generous and it really inspired me to be more generous. And I'm so grateful because I've never been this generous in my life. And I'm I'm just so happy about it. I love that. And you're generous with your time, which I appreciate. Because <laughs> <laughs> this project was a lot of time and it just turned out beautifully. And I kind of want to focus in on the generosity talk for a minute, um, because I feel like as Catholics, the only, I don't want to say the only, that's not fair, but the times I remember hearing about money within the context of my faith was during the annual stewardship campaigns or um, when we're being told about how we should be giving more money to whatever cause, right? And it was never in the context of, I don't, see, it's not fair I'm using these terms, but I, I didn't hear it in the context of how I choose where to live or how I avoid taking on credit card debt. Like it's in the process. The outcome of generosity is wonderful, but we at Compass Catholic focus on the process. And so I want to talk a little bit to the course, how we structured it. We definitely do address generosity because we address it as a process that we grow in. But 
being a good steward, being a good financial disciple is about the process and not the outcome of generosity benefits you way more than it can ever benefit the receiver. But the process of financial discipleship is really where this course lives while spending some time in generosity because you do have to address that. Absolutely. And I think to what you were saying about hearing about the annual appeal, I definitely remember growing up there being maybe the homily was instead about the annual appeal and giving. And and I think that if you're someone sitting in the pews that's struggling with your finances and you hear that appeal, you might think, I want to appeal for some financial help. I want to appeal mm -hmm. for, I want some direction in terms of how am I going to help the church if I feel like I'm drowning in credit card debt or any type of unsecured debt. And so I do think that if the conversation as a whole, like if it's if we take a holistic approach to it, which I think what is what we do in the pre-cana course, then the generosity is going to be an outgrowth of managing your money better because a lot of people say, I just, I don't have a dollar to spare. And I think that for most people, if you actually sit down and look at your income and look at your expenses, that you probably do have a dollar to spare. And now I'm not saying I don't want to trivialize anyone's financial situation because there are people that are in very dire financial situations. But I think if we're being honest with ourselves, if we really valued giving giving and being generous, we could find a way to do so with our time, talent, or treasure. And I think that's the biggest thing I've learned in marriage because it's the first time that you're not really just thinking about yourself. You're, I shouldn't say it's the first time, but for the first time, someone else is affected by my income and affected by my financial decisions. So I think that generosity is an essential component of any type of financial discipleship work. And I do think that I, I I hope people don't feel like they look at themselves like I'm a parishioner and the church just wants money from me because that's not, I hope no one feels that way um, because we have so much to offer besides our money. But when you really do look at your money as I'm the steward, the money belongs to God, I'm just here to use it in a responsible way that would go to accomplish his will, then I think that the generosity is, flows more naturally, though it is something that you have to work on. I mean, I still, there are times still where I'm like, okay, should I give a little more than we normally mm. give? And, but I love that feeling of pushing myself to go beyond what my normal level of generosity would be. No, I really agree with that. It is, it's a process and financial discipleship is a process. Generosity is a process. And it's one that needs to be thought of together as an engaged couple and then implemented when you're married. I think an issue as well that, that we need to address here is the wonderful volunteers that help us with our marriage preparation tend to be the ones who have time, not all the time, but they tend to be the older couples who've already finished rearing children. They have some time to put into this. And this younger generation of Catholic couples who are getting married have a very different set of financial challenges ahead of them. They are tending to be coming into marriage with debt. 
They are also children of the Great Recession. They went through their teenage years during the Great Recession. They're going to have a different mindset because they saw their parents lose tons of equity in their homes, maybe got foreclosed on. So there's a, a lot of financial flashpoints that have happened that are different within this generation and the ones um, of the the you know the wise couples who are helping us prepare for marriage. What can we do to address those young couples and make sure we are living in real time with an eternal perspective when it comes to our finances? Well, I think in a, in essence, the advice is the same, that you have to talk about this stuff, right? So maybe a couple that got married 40 years ago, they weren't talking about student loans. They were talking about other things in relation to money and, and what was going on at that time. So the end of the day, you can't get away from talking about your finances. It's just that the topic du jour is probably going to be different today than it is in 25 years when who knows what our financial picture is going to look like then. So I think as long as there's a recognition of different challenges that today's young people have when they enter marriage, like student loans or like other types of credit card debt, personal loans, et cetera, if there's an acknowledgement that, yes, we know that this is what you're dealing with, I think that's actually an underrated step to just recognize that yeah, you might be entering marriage in a much different place than couples who might say, oh, we got married when we were 20 and we had nothing. And that that could be true, but it's that's very different than someone who's like, we're getting married and one of us has 200K in student loan debt, right? <laughs> it's different, but at the same time, the communication, the talking about the money is the essential component. And I, I can't underscore that enough because I work with a lot of couples and many of my couples actually come as one person. So it's typically the wife. And so the husband might not, is, is not coming to the meetings. And so there's certain things they're, they're not talking about. For example, there's a something called financial infidelity where one of the members of the couple might have credit cards or might have debt that the other person doesn't know about. And so you'd, a lot of people might think, well, when we're married, we share everything. And if you think that way, that's fabulous. I'm I'm glad that's going to help you. But if you're someone who's like, well, I, I don't really want to mention this little debt, that's your, your set. It might feel better in the short term to not have to have that conversation. But in the long term, it's really dangerous, I think, for the marriage to not be talking about all of these, these little things. And so I think just being completely upfront, knowing each other's income, knowing each other's credit score. And that's, I think, what's great about the course is it's like a jumping off point. So it's almost like the couple doesn't have to initiate the conversation on their own. The course acts as that third party mediator that's prompting the questions. And then the couple can just talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I'm proud of how it came together. Like it really came together well from you know, ideation to working it through and then, um, you know, having it go live. It, it really has turned out well. And it's not meant to be the end all be all of your financial conversations. It is your starting off point. And 15 years later, this is still, I mean, at least monthly that Andrew and I meet together, usually weekly and we check in. And it took us a while to get there. So I'm an avid audiobook listener. And I was listening this week to this lecture in the 1980s. This um, a doctor, some, I cannot remember his name. It's going to drive me crazy. But 
he wrote Finite Games and Infinite Games, and it was the um, precipice for Simon Sinek's um, The Infinite Game book that he just came out with. Oh. And his whole premise is that evil can happen when we try and make infinite games into finite games. So we try and take something that is infinite and give it a beginning, middle, and end. And what is interesting here is with this course, we're getting people to see that financial discipleship and marriage is the infinite game. There's a beginning, yes. but there should not be an end, right? Like this is a lifelong process and that we need to be in here. That's the long game. We're playing the long game here. What does this look like? What are the habits you need to take on? What are the you know values you need to discuss? Um, it's not a 30 day money challenge. Like those are fun to play a finite game within this infinite game of financial discipleship, but getting people to understand their calling to marriage and financial discipleship within the same course. I think we did a pretty good job. I'm sure we'll yeah, modify. I, <laughs> I think so too. And actually that description you just gave, so I've never heard of that talk, but it sounds super fascinating. But I think it takes the pressure off when you do look at this as a long game. It's not like mm -hmm. I got to get this figured out before we walk down the aisle or I got to get this figured out by the time we've been married for a year. It is really a lifelong process. And that to me sounds a lot more freeing than just being like, I just have to figure this out, check the box, and then we're, we're good on this for the rest of our life. Um, that wouldn't be really fun anyway, if that's how it worked. <laughs> no, and you'd be broke. <laughs> <laughs> that's, not fun. that's not fun. And it's not all about, I mean, if you have debt, you need to get that debt paid off. Like if you have things you need to handle, you need to handle them. But we say in the intro to the course, you can have a bottle of wine and do this course. Like there's meant to be fun with a marriage. We, you know, you need to have money set aside for date night if you can afford it. And you're supposed to enjoy each other as a married couple. So budget that in. Don't let that feel like a guilty thing when you're going on a date night because you didn't account for it and you didn't plan for it. If it's planned for, it's so much more enjoyable and you can, you know, you're not worried about the credit card at the end of the night. You know, it's been budgeted for. So uh, plan for fun, you know, and, and it just makes marriage a lot easier. Not perfect. Um, Absolutely. But and in listening, I know you're listening to Father Mike Schmidt's Bible in a Year podcast. Yeah. One of the things he said, I forget what episode it was, but he said that God it's made been us like 120 so far. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> Forgive me. Right. Yeah. So one of the episodes he said, God made all of us for labor, leisure, and love. And I think the leisure component of it is like what you were just talking about, Caitlin, like playing, date night, doing fun stuff. I think that's one of the areas that as Christians, we sometimes don't focus on. And I think that because you could argue that some of the leisurely activities, like if you want to get a massage or you want to go on date night, they cost money. So you can actually look at the financial discipleship in a way too that, okay, I'm going to, this is allowing us to partake in leisure in part of literally what God created us for, labor, leisure, and love. And obviously not everything that's leisurely needs to cost money, but some things will, and that's okay. So I think that if we remember what we're created for, labor, leisure, and love, that it helps to manage our money when we already have that mindset. That doesn't mean it's easy. And like for you and me, Caitlin, like even though we work in this space, I don't know if people ever ask you, but people will ask me, is everything just 
perfect. You guys must be on the like same page about everything financially. It's like, no. 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 (laughs) So just goes to show that even with so much education and literacy around this stuff, it's still going to be a lifelong conversation, which Mm -hmm. is you can choose to either look at that as, oh, I'll never figure it out or as this awesome lifelong adventure. Yes. And I appreciate you helping get this conversation started. So um, we're going to have to have Tierney on another episode and and discuss with her. But between you and Tierney, you're the two instructors for this course. Um, And then we have some cute cartoons, readings, quizzes, lots of different discussion prompts to get you to start these conversations as an engaged couple in a way that's not focused on something negative. Like often our financial conversations are started because maybe a bill was missed or we didn't realize there was a debt or, you know, like they they start over a negative issue. This starts the financial discipleship conversation over something positive, which is your engagement. And it gets us started on the right note. So I'm just grateful for you. And I'm grateful we got this going and so excited to see, you know, how hopefully it impacts young engaged couples. Yeah, I think it absolutely will. And just the people that I've told about the course are really excited. They're like, we need this. So yeah, Yeah. it's awesome for you. But we are going to um, be launching this course. It's going to be $19 for an engaged couple. Um, We're also going to be offering a pack where people can, um, if you want to order as a gift for someone, maybe for a shower or just as like a wedding gift, um, you can order the course and we can also have the physical book sent to the engaged couple because you want to have something physical usually to bring to like to a bridal shower. So we have that ready to go. Just go to compasscatholic.org online courses. It is there. And if your parish, um, if your parish staff or a marriage preparation coordinator and you want to require this as part of the pre-cana development of your engaged couples, just include it on your checklist. That's all you have to do. They go to compasscatholic.org, a certificate's generated when they're done and they can email that to you. Easy day. It's just adding it to a checklist. It's adding no work to your plate. And that was a really our goal here. Parishes have so much to do. And, and marriage oh, yes. coordinators tend to be volunteers. They have enough to do. Um, this is just one thing you add to your checklist and you know they've had a money conversation prior to marriage. That's rooted in the faith rooted in scripture, rooted in catechism. And um, yeah, I'm excited about seeing what this can do. Me too. Awesome. Thank you, Victoria. Thanks, Caitlin. Thank you for joining us for today's episode. If you have a show idea or a topic you'd like us to discuss, please email us at podcast at compasscatholic.org. I also ask you as a personal favor to hit that subscribe button if you have not already done so. If you're interested in our new God, Marriage, and Money online course, reach out to us at info at compasscatholic.org. Have a wonderful week and God bless.